Japanese people get to sleep on the tatami flooring because most of the Japanese people <laughs> use a Western style bed. But it's part of the very traditional Japanese experiences that we can still get to experience. Japan is a perfect destination for deep thinkers like introverts、um, because, you know, we have a rich culture and history. So if you get to ask、um, anything you find curious about, like you can get to find a deeper context, deeper meaning. I visited Italy four times in total. Actually, I went to Rome, Florence, Milan, and many different places in the Tuscany region. But one of the most unforgettable experiences was a time in Potenza. I think, okay, okay, maybe friendly is a different、um, word. I'd say they are more open to new culture and new. Ways of thinking, which is very different from Japanese way of thinking. Welcome to the Winging It Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond, where every Monday I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, traveler, gap year student, or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. This is a casual, informative podcast designed for you to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share, and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode, where I'm joined by Miyuki Saguchi, who is the host of the Japan Experts podcast. And is a licensed guide certified by the Japanese government. Miyuki is an avid traveler, having lived in UK and traveled in Europe, Dubai, Brazil, USA, and many more countries. Today, we're going to talk about Japan, Miyuki's podcast, what it's like to learn a new, ang- new language in English, and being an introvert, and also what it's like to be a tour guide in Japan, where she lives now. So, Miyuki, konnichiwa. Hello,、uh, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's a great pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm really doing great. Thank you. Fantastic. And please tell the listeners, where are you currently right now in Japan? I'm based in the southwestern part of Gifu Prefecture, which is located right in the center of Japan's main Honshu Island. Is it a popular place to visit?、Um, it's actually not a touristy area. So. Um, it's pretty convenient、um, because it's right、um, in the center of Japan and it's between the, the western part of Japan and eastern part of Japan, where lots of international travelers visit. So, hopefully, more people can get to visit my region too. And it's great for you because you, if you're working, you can go east, west, south pretty easily. It's a good thing. Exactly.、Help. Oh, nice.、Exactly. Okay. So, we're going to start the podcast just getting to know you and some early travels in Japan. So, you grew up in Japan, first of all, as a child and going into teenage years. So, is that where you are now or is that somewhere else in Japan? So, I was、um, born and grew up originally in a much more smaller、um, village than 
the place I'm currently based, um, but it's in the same region. It's about actually half an hour away from where I'm currently based. Um, that's my hometown. So, yes. Nice. And how was that growing up in that small, small town? I've done some research on you and you said that it's obviously quite traditional and the thought of maybe speaking like a different language going somewhere else was quite extreme. Yeah, so I actually grew up in a totally modern environment um, of the countryside town, countryside town um, in Gifu Prefecture. And I was a very typical shy Japanese girl before moving to the UK. Um, but actually, um, one of the things I really liked uh, when I was uh, small was watching a weekly TV show um, that features Japanese people visiting different parts of the world. Oh, okay. and spending a week with a local family. So the, their destination uh, were always different. So one time it was like pizzeria in Italy or other people visited a cake shop in the Eastern European country or other people visited a tribe in Africa or rural areas of the Asian countries or Papua New Guinea. But what happened was that these people arrived at the, their destination without knowing too much about the local culture of the country they visited. But through the one week period, they got to stay at the local family's house, had a meal together, participated in their daily activities and really get to know the people. And in the end, they all seems to have built a deep bond with the locals and to be truly inspired by their adventures. And I really liked this TV show um, because I was fascinated and encouraged by the fact that world is so big. And I was very curious about running different cultures and meeting people from different countries. Yeah, that's same as me, pretty much. In terms of like watching those little travel shows, I used to read like a little Atlas book. So it had like every country with a flag Japan flag, capital is Tokyo, population is this, the currency is yen, you know, all these different bits of information. Does that mean that when you were a child, you didn't travel that much? Um, so actually, um, I was very fortunate that my parents took me and my sister to many different parts of Japan. Okay. So yeah, we went to the um, the Japan seaside, the Hokuriku, the Pacific coastal areas like Kanagawa, Shizuoka, Aichi, and the mountainous areas of the Chubu region, the central part of Japan. And also we visited the major um, popular um, tourist um, cities like Tokyo, Kyoto, and Hokkaido. I had an opportunity to travel around different parts of Japan, but not really the international travels. Okay, and what were some of your favorite places in Japan that you were visiting when you were a child? We've been to like so many different places and I remember like I really like to stay at the Ryokan, which I will talk about it later in detail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to try out the local foods um, from the different parts of Japan. And yeah, it's not only the particularly like one spot, but like just like various memories from different trips. Right. That's great, because we are going to talk about Japan more in another section later in the podcast, which I'm looking forward to because I've been there. We can talk about some things that I've experienced and you can give me some more tips. Um, one of the most memorable trips uh, from my childhood was the one to Hokkaido. 
um, because it's quite different from the main Honshu Island. I, of course, enjoyed eating lots of seafood that formed the great things in Hokkaido. <laughs> and, but I know it was like when I was in the sixth grade in the primary school. So I was like 11 or 12 years old. But even still at that time, like I liked travel planning. So I created 102 itineraries. So that was oh. one thing my parents were really impressed and surprised at. Oh, wow. <laughs> doing that. So. Yeah, that's crazy at that age. Wow. <laughs> so that kind of brings me on to a few years later where you decided that you want to learn English. How did you come to that conclusion that you wanted to learn a new language and why English? Actually, I decided to study abroad um, because I wanted to see the world. Yeah. Um, so I feel many Japanese people decided to study abroad because they love English, but in my case, I didn't like English that much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was more interested in the different cultures and the people living in different countries. So that was um, kind of bigger motivation for me. And then you moved to UK at yes. 18 to study abroad. So where did you go to first? Um, so I chose the UK because my favorite um, subject at school was a Western history. So okay. it was it was uh, <laughs> kind of the natural move among yeah. the choices I had, uh, which were the USA, Australia and the UK. And I applied to the study abroad program um, through a Japanese agency. And the Japanese agency had three choices. Among the UK, yeah. uh, we had a St. Andrews in Scotland, Scotland, yeah, Bangor, and Avalestus in Wales. In Wales, oh God, okay. <laughs> that is a very hard word to say, Aberystwyth. Avalestus. <laughs> it's Welsh, it's too hard. <laughs> I, I can't say it, Aberystwyth. Oh, yeah, it's difficult. That's three interesting choices. Yes. Small places, very small places. Yes. <laughs> so which one did you choose? So I decided to go to St. Andrews um, because it's the Scotland's first university and a very prestigious one. Yeah. And it's also famous as the bus place of golf. Yeah. And as a place where the Prince and Princess Wales studied. They did. Yeah. I think that's where they met, right? I think they met there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, St. Andrews at the university and golf, they, they two things. Exactly. And how was it transitioning from Japan to UK and especially the language barrier? Because I guess you had to learn English quite quickly, I'd assume, um, in UK. Yeah, so the first year um, in Scotland, that was the that was for the foundation program. So that was pretty much focused on learning English. Okay. Um, so it was tough. Um, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was tough because my English level wasn't so different from other Japanese people. You know, like right. we all Japanese people study English as part of the, their compulsory education system. Oh, okay. But it's, yeah, but it's focused on the reading and listening rather than speaking and writing. And oh, it's wow. more of a process of passing a university entrance exam. So huh. I knew 
basic vocabulary and grammar, but it wasn't good enough to carry a conversation in English. I can say I learned the kind of like quote-unquote real English after moving to the UK. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. If you were to choose one, so reading, speaking, listening, writing, which one is the most important to start learning a new language? Where would you start first? I guess um, in the kind of like daily life, you need to um, catch what people are saying. Yeah. And you need to know how to say, how to respond to what they said. So yeah. I guess it's because, you know, like when you learn a new language, like at the very beginning, you need to think about how to structure a sentence in your head yeah. at the beginning. Like, and I couldn't do that very well. So what, what I did was trying to write down everything I want to say. And that was one way mm. I was able to communicate with the British people. Yeah. If you could master any form of the language skills, that is uh, beginning. You can get to communicate with people. I think that's the most important thing. Okay, that's interesting. Because when I was learning Spanish in South America, I was speaking and reading. They were the two because I was reading a menu, reading a sign, reading hostel signs and hostel things and speaking to try and get something. But I struggled because listening, I couldn't pick up that well what they were saying and I couldn't respond back that well. So that's quite important too. But like you say, it is everything. And then writing, nah, didn't you do it? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because some people could maybe like read a book and just speak to themselves. Yeah. But then you can't speak to another person because the book is a book, you know, you can't speak to you. I reckon some people just have different ways of doing it. And Scotland as well, they have a, a very strong accent. Did you kind of notice or you, you can't really understand the difference between maybe Scotland and England? You know, I did. I now um, can hear the difference. Yeah. But you know, when you first move to a new place, and you think that's the, the that's the language of the country you're in. You Yeah. <laughs> you'd you'd think Scottish English is English, right? Yes. True. <laughs> <laughs> because that's 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 all you know, right? Yeah. But yeah, so I I guess it was good for me because I started with a Scottish English, so I didn't have any problem hearing what they are saying. Yeah. And when I moved to the England later, I didn't have a um, bigger challenge because it yeah. was easier for me to hear what they were saying. So makes sense. I get that. Okay. And then when you're in UK studying, did you travel around the UK? And what were some yes. of your favorite places? So I've been to lots of places um, yeah. in the UK. Um, so in my first year, I took a lot of excursion trips to nearby towns to visit castles and whiskey distilleries. Okay, very, very <laughs> Scottish. <laughs> from, from big to small. And I also visit cities such as Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dundee, Perth and Stirling. Yeah. And 
I loved Edinburgh. Um, the mm. castle was great. The district with small alleyways was also fun, and city's landscape was stunning. Yeah. Um, yeah, but one of the, my first trip to England was to York. Oh, nice. Okay. Yes, yeah. and I went to York Minster. It was yeah. the first time for me to see the cathedral on such a big scale. Um, so I thought it was very impressive. Mm -hmm. um, the city is surrounded by the historic walls on which people can walk. Um, so yeah. that it was a new experience for me too. And I also remember visiting Blackpool. And uh, Blackpool has a different feel. Yes, um, it will. It's a seaside resort. Um, yeah. It's famous for its impressive ballroom dance floor. And yeah. we also enjoyed eating fish and chips as we walked into the pier. I yeah. went there with my Taiwanese friend, and that's where we learned about the proper way of eating fish and chips, <laughs> <laughs> which is with salt and vinegar. Um, that's yes. actually one of the things I really miss um, because oh, really? in Japan, you yeah. can get sick potato fries, um, but we have them with ketchup. See, I would have it with ketchup still. So salt, vinegar, and ketchup. But I would also have mushy peas did you have them uh yes it's not my favorite <laughs> but... <laughs> fair enough it's an acquired taste i i love them i miss them every day mushy peas on the seaside doesn't get better than that yeah and one thing i also one of the things i also would like to um, talk about is my trip to um oxford Yes, please. Um, because, yes, because I visited Oxford when I was still living in Scotland. And by this time, uh, it was after at least 10 months after I moved to the UK. So by this time, I already had a good experiences of visiting British cities and towns. But when I visited Oxford, I fell in love with the city immediately. Um, because So I decided to move there. So I love the history, like beautiful architecture in the city. And yes, and one thing I still can, cannot forget from this trip was the services I attended at the Christchurch College of the Oxford University. Yeah. So I went to listen to a church choir singing. Mm -hmm. So it was beautiful and it was such a remarkable experience. So in Japan, we have a chance to hear Buddhist Sutra as part of the morning service at the Buddhist temples. So they are so beautiful too. And I love listening to that. And sometimes I recall my memory of choir singing in the UK. I guess that's something that I just think, I kind of put this as, as like normal, but maybe it's not for other tourists. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And it's quite a popular thing. Oxford, where I'm from in Norwich. Did you go to Norwich? Sorry, I no. didn't. <laughs> So they have a massive cathedral and there's choirs in there and all this sort of stuff. So it is quite a, a thing to do if you're one of those like cities with a big cathedral. Yeah, that's cool. How was life in the UK for you? Was it was it easy to adapt? Was it easy to become British for three or four years or was it quite quite difficult? So it was very tough at the beginning uh, for my first year. But after the first year and after I moved to England, uh, it was much more easier for me and much more enjoyable because I got to understand what people were saying, at least. Yes. And any advice 
for someone now who is thinking about moving to UK, who is not from the UK, like me, like maybe someone who's, I don't know, could be Taiwanese, could be Chinese, could be Japanese, could be anyone. Any advice for someone who is thinking about studying there or going to live there? Um, I always um, recommend any people, especially Japanese people, to study abroad uh, because it, it's like your travel experience that will give you a bigger perspective, like expand your perspective and yeah, have, a, have the opportunity to gain the new experience and to see the bigger world. So that's some, that's uh, that's something I would always recommend to people. Yeah, I agree. And do you also speak to the people that you meet you met there? So, you know, friends that were maybe Japanese or locals that you met, do you still keep in contact with people in the UK? Yes, yes, UK, because I, I had spent a longer time in the UK. So, of course, but um, also from um, my trip uh, in the past, I still being in touch with these people. Yeah. And the Japanese people, did they stay? ones that, that are on your course or did they go back to Japan? I guess some people had stayed and some people had left. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Or oh, actually I, I spent um first four years. Of course, I went back to Japan for a holiday yeah. in the summer, but I had stayed in the UK for the first four years. And then I came back to Japan and then I decided to returned to the UK for my postgraduate program. So it was two different times. Ah, so the postgraduate time, where was that in UK? In London. In London. Ah, and how did you find London? You know, like when I was living in Oxford, I already had a chance to visit London. So I had an idea about what the city is like. It's mm. like very international and I wanted to live in a bigger city. Um, so, and I was studying the journalism. So yeah. it was a good location to get access to like media organizations and financial institutions because I was studying financial journalism. So it was a perfect place to study journalism. And of course there are lots of tourist attractions too. Oh yeah, so much choice. Where did you live in London? Which part of London did you live in? I lived in Angel. Oh, Angel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like North. North London. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's quite a cool area, actually. That's, that's a good place to be. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that was not too far from, that. that is actually the area where my university was yeah. located. Yeah, okay. So. Got it. Okay, so we're going to go into sort of the, the travel portion that, that you've done. So you, you're in UK, so you must have traveled to Europe in both of those times. <laughs> so we're gonna talk a few places today. We're gonna talk a bit about living in Japan as a tour guide also, and a podcaster, and being an introvert, which is quite an interesting conversation. Actually, we'll start, we'll start with introvert first. Cause- Really? <laughs> yes, cause I'm keen to discuss this a little bit. Then we'll go into your travels in Europe. So, why do you think you're an introvert? What are the signs to say, ah, oh, I'm definitely an introvert? Because I've got some ideas too, but I'm keen to hear what you say. Right. So there are a lot of characteristics about being an introvert. 
Um, yeah. Some of the things that are often said, uh, introverted people are more sensitive to what's around them. And they need some time alone to re-energize themselves. And they, there are some social introverts too, but generally speaking, introverts are more comfortable with having a one-on-one -on -one conversation rather than a big group discussion. And they like to observe and research first and yeah. think a lot before they speak and ask deep questions. I agree. Here's another thing which makes me think I'm slightly introverted is, you know, like at university, university is a great example, right? You're at university and there could be a party or a, a big gathering of people. I just used to get a little bit nervous and like, oh, I was never like, yay, let's go. I was always like, oh, okay. And I had to be kind of like, force myself to go because it is a bit too much all these people it could be a lot, lot of shouting a lot of drinking so for me i used to be like uh not wishing it was over but relieved when it's over i think do you often feel like felt tired after going to these places 100 percent. oh i i think you are the feral introvert traveler <laughs> For example, like traveling is a great example. If you go to a hostel, right, and you meet loads of people, brilliant. I'm all for meeting people. I like it, but I just need a break or just need an hour or two just to, uh, yeah, be by myself. I say, I, I, I think definitely you are introvert. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird to say for a podcast, isn't it? Because we meet people all the time, but then we are one to one, not in a group. Yes, yes. Something I really like about podcasting. Yeah. And yeah, we get to interview people, but it's always <laughs> a lot of times it's more the one one setting. So yeah, it's definitely easier for me to speak. Yeah. Okay. I tell you what is another difficult thing for me. On my other podcast I have, which is a coffee podcast, I do it by video and I go into quite busy places because they're normally cafes, right? So recording a podcast in a cafe when you've got some people looking at you is for me, it's like, it's the, it's the edge of like nervousness and edge of like, I could easily say, no, no, I'm not going to do it. But I have to like, just do it and force myself. It's quite an interesting dynamic. That's good. That's good. Yeah. You are, you are gaining new experiences. That's good. Yeah. Just trying to push the boundary a little bit, but it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we'll come back to introverts later on for your podcast, but for Europe, so you went to Italy. Now, this is a very popular discussion on my podcast. Italy is good for a number of reasons. The food, the fashion, the amount of places you can see and visit, the history, um, the wine, the weather, the language. There's so many things. So where did you visit the most in Italy and where did you like the most? So I visited Italy four times in total. Ah. So... Actually, I went to Rome, Florence, Milan, and many different places in the Tuscany region. Mm -hmm. But one of the most unforgettable experiences was a time in Potenza, a charming hilly city in the southern part of the Italy. Um, that's uh, partly because it was one of my very first solo trips. And I went there um, to visit my Italian friends um, that I met in Scotland. Ah. Um, yes. So it was uh, very memorable because um, I went there like from Scotland to Potenza 
I first flew to Rome and yeah. then changed the flights to Naples. And in the second flight, I was the only Asian person. So I felt completely foreign. I was nervous. And the flight attendant trying to try to speak to me in Italian. Mm. I didn't understand what she was saying. Yeah. And luckily, an Italian gentleman sitting next to me helped me out. And when I arrived at the airport, my luggage didn't arrive. So I was clueless. I had no mobile phone at that time. So I had no idea on how to contact my friend. But in the end, my friend came to find me. So I was saved. And <laughs> during the entire time of my stay, I stayed at my friend's house. So my friends invited me to meet and communicate with their family, friends, and neighbors. And they had never met a Japanese person before. Yeah. So they taught me basically Italian words and phrases. And so we managed to interact with each other using these words, like written communication and body language. So this was one of the very early immersive troubles. Um, that I had, and this trip definitely encouraged me to travel more and got to know the locals and get to know their culture. Uh, so that was a memorable trip. So how did you communicate with your friend and their family? Is that in English or could your friend speak Japanese? How would that work? So my friends uh, came to Scotland to study um, yeah. English, English during the summer. Yeah. So they had a good command of English. So I was able to communicate uh, with them in English, but yeah. their families and neighbors, um, and especially because some part of Italy, the Potenza, uh, where they lived, um, because that was not really the touristy area. And mm. um, that was not really so exposed to other cultures, uh, especially the Asian culture or the Japanese culture. So yeah. Uh, of course, their parents um, didn't speak um, any other languages except Italian. So, yeah, I al already had a um, project to learn some of the Italian words while I was in Scotland, um, while they were in Scotland and we met and we communicated with uh, some Italian words. So I knew a really <laughs> like very small amount of the Italian vocabulary but yeah that's that's pretty much it so yeah most of the communication was probably uh, through the body language <laughs> <laughs> which italians do a lot of body language like all this right all the hands and <laughs> that's a great experience though because you've got someone who's local to the area so you can go and see things like if i went there on my own i'd probably like research where to go but that's like, not a real local place but you have a local contact, go to a local place to eat, drink or see. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that yeah, that that's actually the best way to travel. And that's the, my favorite part of the travel experience. And in Italy, what was your favorite food that you had? Because it's got to be so much choice. But what one did you love the most or what dish? You know, like what many other people love, like pizza, pasta, but some of the things I really remember, uh, because it was kind of like a long time ago, but I still mm. remember is that um, because um, that's probably one of the things surprised me or yeah, what, that was a new experience for me was that they, like Italian, 
people like eat some of kind of the biscuits in the morning. Ah, uh, sweet, <laughs> sweet stuff. Yeah. Yeah.、Mm. Um, these traditions are very different from Japanese culture, for example.、Yeah. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not only the one food, but probably I was more inspired or I got more interested in the setting, for example, because Italian people like to eat very late. Yes,、uh, very, they yes. like to eat in a big group. Yeah. Um, they like to get together after the dinner, and yeah, that kind of environment I really liked. But yeah, that is one thing they do really well is just getting together, albeit quite late. So sometimes sleep in the day, right, for two or three hours. Yes, yeah. Italy was my first, one of my first countries I went to, and that surprised me that you know two p.m. things started to close. I'm like, what's happening here? And they all go to sleep for two hours, and they all reopen back at four p.m. or five p.m. And then you see all the people come out and have dinner together. Yeah, it's a totally even to UK, totally different culture, different culture completely. I met two Italian people in Vietnam、yes. on a boat, yes. And we were talking about breakfast,、mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, Italians, we all know to eat pasta, pizza, all this. I was like, what do you have for breakfast? And they said, you know, sweet bread, sweet biscuits, and I was like. Like sugar, They're like yeah. I was like that early. She's like yeah,、so, and she said, "Oh, what do you eat in a breakfast?" I'm like, you know, bit of toast, bit of eggs, maybe some baked beans if you had those in the UK. And she was like, "No, that's way too heavy."、And、I was like, "Oh wow," but maybe it's because they had so much food late at night. It's too late, so it comes back round. You're not that hungry in in the morning, so maybe you reset to where your hunger comes back. Maybe like. Late afternoon, maybe that's how it works. I'm not sure. Yes, sorry. This this is this was correct name panzanella. It's a salad. Oh, okay, I've never heard of it. It's based on based on the you know like bread. Yeah, but this is delicious. Very delicious. Okay, okay. <laughs> Pan panzanella. Panzanella. Yes, probably the the pronunciation wasn't so. No, no, it's it's a salad. It's it's a it's a you know like use using the like farm bread it says,、oh, but、okay. it's not a, look doesn't look like a bread though it's a salad. Oh, it looks really nice. Yeah, it's got、um, yeah salad, soaked stale bread, onions, tomatoes, cucumbers, basil, olive oil, vinegar. Oh wow, sounds really nice. Yeah, seems like it's one of the specialties from the Tuscany region. Yes, that's that's what Wikipedia says. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I went to Tuscany,、um, uh, like kind of like one week trip. That's a great tip. Okay, before we get to Japan, we're going to discuss a few more places. So you went to Dubai, which I have never been to. So tell me what your experience was like in Dubai. Yeah, of course. After coming back、uh, from the UK,、uh, the first job I had was a travel journalist.、Um, oh, nice. Part of、uh, my assignment, I went to Dubai. Yeah, yeah. So my job as a travel journalist、uh, was that、uh, basically I met to I met and speak to the people、uh, working for the travel boards、um, from、oh, yeah. I mean tourism boards from all over the world. So、mm -hmm. they came to Japan to sell destinations, hotels,、yeah. and facilities, and I. Got to meet 
um, them and speak to them and to hear about their best destinations in their countries. And yes, and one of the trip that was organized by the Jumeirah group, I don't know if you have heard of um, the name, um, the hotel group um, that runs the seven star properties in Dubai and elsewhere. Okay. And I had a pleasure to um, join the press tour um, that was organized by that company. And I also, it was um, the the journalists from other parts of the world also joined the tour. So it was yeah. quite an interesting experience. So everything was so different in Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> The things I really enjoyed were some of the cultural experiences they had provided, like the camel riding, like driving in deserts and the mixology cross. And, you know, like you, at the one of their properties, uh, we had to take a boat where we were staying and to other places like the souk market. Mm-hmm. And the evening time, it was... Um, the open air restaurant with a berry dancers um, dancing in the middle and these yeah. very different experiences um, from what I was uh, used to in Japan and other parts of the world. And what I really like was mocktails. Uh, you know, Muslim people in Dubai, they don't drink. And yeah. so mocktails, mocktails were very popular. Yes. yes. And they, they, there were so many varieties <laughs> and I got to see the sun setting on the horizon in the oh, desert. Wow. Nice. So it was stunning. And yeah. because we don't get these experiences in Japan, we have like so many high buildings. And so I couldn't believe um, it was a kind of a same planet uh, we live on. Mm. So yeah, and I went there in December um, which is actually the good time to visit, but it was like very surprising. It was very warm uh, still and because we have snow in December. So it was very hmm. yeah. um, new experience for me. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. I've never been to Dubai, so I'm keen to see what it's like, but not just the generic big tall buildings, the sky, you know, Burj Khalifa, of course, you've got to go and visit. There must be other experiences in Dubai that's maybe a bit more hidden than just a generic sort of like big skyscraper or a really expensive hotel. It sounds like you got stuck into tourist activities that were, I guess it was like put on a show for you. Was it to maybe like try and, try and sell Dubai? Yeah. So basically um, the my audience for my publication was yeah. for the travel agency who are trying to put together a tour package for the Japanese people, uh, okay. as well as as a trade industry um, professionals. These tours were organized for the journalists writing for the these audiences. So, got it. Okay, what's the publication that you wrote for as a journalist? It's a Japanese publication okay. and it's a trade media. Yes, it's not in not in English. Not in English. No, so it's only Japanese only. Okay. Yes. The next place we're going to talk about is Brazil and Rio de Janeiro. So we have both been. First of all, where did you stay in Rio? Which part? I don't remember no, because it was also organized by my company. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I was working for a global company that was one of the top sponsors to the Olympic Games. So my mission yes, okay. 
was to visit the facilities uh, where my companies provide like stadium lighting and the hair scale equipment for the athlete medical centers. And so the tool was based um, on the places that are related to the Olympic Games. So I didn't really get to see the, all the major tourist attractions. Ah, so you got mainly a tour of the Olympic Park, basically. Yes, yes. But it was still under the construction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just a few months before the 2016, the, Olymp the Rio de Janeiro Olympic Games, but it was still under the construction. So not only the, the stadiums that were available to for viewing but also some of the, the hospitals or like maintenance centers these mm -hmm. sort of places that we visited <laughs> yeah because i remember at the time there was like a big news story that they weren't going to be ready in time i think i seem to recall mm. i went to rio in 2014 for the world cup when i was there you know the football world cup was going on the olympics was two years later but even then you heard like oh, it's not going to be ready in time. It's like, still two years to go. But like, yeah, as we know, that they went right down to the last minute, almost, to the games. Did you get to communicate much with the Brazilian people? Yes, yes. They were very nice and friendly. Yeah. And uh, one of the interesting things um, from this trip was that uh, I got to meet, because the, my company had a um, office in 180 countries, and... There are lots of kind of journalists as well as uh, corporate communication people from different parts of parts of the world, and they mm -hmm. got together in the Rio de Janeiro. So I got mm -hmm. to speak to the, not only the Brazilian people but also other people from the South American countries and mm. the elsewhere. So it was quite an interesting experience for me. Ah, oh, awesome! There's quite a big Japanese population in Sao Paulo, right? Yes, but. Technically speaking, they they have a Japanese origin, but they are Brazilian people, so they are not Japanese yeah. people. So they're like first, second generation Brazilian. Yes, yes. Yeah. So their their grandparents moved there. Yes, correct. Uh, okay, but yeah, okay. So I think I read that Sao Paulo has the highest. Let, let's call them Japanese in brackets. They had like Japanese culturally. It's like one of the biggest places in the world outside of Japan to find a lot of Japanese culture there in Sao Paulo. Yes. Let's move on to Japan. Of course, we've got to talk about Japan. That's where you work, where you live. So first of all, what are you right now? Are you a tour guide working for the government or working for a different company or other travel tour groups? Are you just travel guiding as an independent or do you work for different people? So basically, um, I have a licensed guide uh, certified by the Japanese government. Um, so I do offer some tools like independently, but I also like to help uh, international travelers design their trip um, in the way that they can create a much deeper and meaningful experience in Japan. Um, that's, that's one of the, the main things that I do currently. And when people book this tour, are you the tour leader and you take the tour group yourself? Or do you connect with different tour group, tour leaders in different places in Japan? How, how does that work? 
So basically, um, the my guests are more of the independent travelers. Um, okay. so I don't usually, yeah, I have worked in the past, but currently I don't usually work with the agencies. So, so you like create an itinerary for someone coming to you for like, I don't know, two weeks, you can create an itinerary for what they want to see and do, and then they go and do it themselves. So what I currently offering is to provide the, the knowledge and information they need to plan their trip. So they will work on their itinerary by themselves. Um, yeah. And I can, of course, provide the support, but I don't just do the itinerary creation just separately um, for them. I do offer the kind of a day tool to my guests, but yeah. I don't do the because I'm based in the central part of Japan and mm. it, it's not really cost effective for me to travel to other parts of Japan to provide a tool because it costs a lot to my guests. So yeah. I'm more focused on my area and but I can I have studied and I have traveled to different parts of Japan. So I do want to provide this knowledge to my guests so that they can have a better experiences in traveling around different parts of Japan. So that is a core concept of my offering. Okay. And we're going to take a, a dive into some of those places like that are must-sees in Japan. When we arrived, the first thing that we booked to Japan was the Japanese rail pass. Mm -hmm. I guess you would recommend buying that. If you're not Japanese? I guess it depends how long they would stay in Japan and how okay. many days they would travel by railways. Um, that is Shinkansen, that is a bread train service um, yeah. in Japan. The best in the world, I think. The fastest anyway. Yes, yes. What I want people to understand is if you do get the Japanese rail pass, unbelievably quick. <laughs> like, this is hard to... You may be just used to it, um, but you went to UK, so you'd know, right? The trains in UK are so bad, slow, old. And when you go to Japan, it's like going forward a hundred years because the train is so fast and so good and you can get a long distance in a short amount of time. Um, so I do recommend if you're going for like two or three weeks and you want to go to different places, I think that's quite cool to have one of those passes. Yes, I'd definitely recommend traveling um, by public transport uh, method, um, as I mentioned, but it, you can take um, public transport, like you can, you can get on Shinkansen without yeah, a yeah. JR pass. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's, it's just like, whether, like how much discount you'd like to get um, yes. by traveling. Yeah. So I definitely recommend traveling by public transport by Shinkansen. Uh, it's uh, one of the most effective way to travel around Japan. Okay. And what are some of the places that you would highly recommend a traveler for going to Japan for the first time to go and see? Yeah. So it's hard to choose a few places um, for me. But if you are interested in the history and the culture, as well as if you are interested in experiencing seeing the best part of Japan, I'd recommend visiting the central part of the main Honshu Island, um, which are the Kanto, Kansai, and the Chubu regions, to be specific. Um, so just to give a reference to listeners, so Kanto is where Tokyo is located, while Kansai is in the western Japan. And what's between Kanto and Kansai is a Chubu region, which literally means 
the central part in Japanese. So the Kansai is where you can get to see the traditional side of Japan. So Nara and the Kyoto are where Japan's capital were located before it moved to Tokyo in the 19th century. So meaning they are where emperors, emperors used to live. So there are many historical sites and temples that have a history of more than 1,000 years. And in the Kanto region, we have the greater metropolitan area around Tokyo. And the history is choti, but it has a, it was a center of modernization. So we had a lot of foreign influences. And of course, it became the foundation of how the international city Tokyo was built. And the Chubu has the biggest number of prefectures and the area facing the Japan Sea, the Pacific coastal area and the inland area are very different from each other. But generally speaking, they are less touristy area where you can get to see the lives of local people and also find the great nature, countryside, landscapes, and samurai castles. And also the central region has one of the biggest manufacturing centers in Japan and is known as major producing area for traditional crafts such as pottery and lacquerware, as well as for the fermented food, including miso, mirin, and vinegar. So which are the secret ingredients that makes Japanese food so delicious. <laughs> so many people don't usually stop at the Chubu region, but it has an easy access uh, from both the eastern part of Japan as well as the western part of Japan. So I hope uh, more people are becoming aware of what the region has to offer and they get interested in visiting uh, my region too. Yes, because I didn't really visit Central. I, don't, I, I wouldn't say. I went to Nara and I went to Kyoto, of course. But yeah, like I couldn't say I went to even the west part at all. But we kind of stuck to obviously the Tokyo, Nara, Osaka and Kyoto and then made our way down to Hiroshima and Nagasaki in the south. They were cool places as well. I would highly recommend them. Have you been to those places too in the south? Yes, I have. Yes. What is that known for in the south? Like what is the the main thing that you would say people go and see there? Actually, the, the Nagasaki the you mentioned, uh, which is located in the Kyushu, um, another island in Japan. And that is a very unique place, actually. Uh, it has a lot of influence by the West. And it was one of the, the very few ports that was open to the West, uh, the uh, Netherlands, um, during yeah. the Edo period when the Japan was under the isolation policy. I've been to Nagasaki last year and I've noticed uh, the city is very different from the rest of the, the Japan. And also I've noticed the people's characteristics was even different from that of the people living in other parts of Japan. How do you mean different? Probably that's partly because it um, attracts so many tourists and travelers from other parts of Japan. And it's one of the very popular destinations for school trips. Even the local people who don't really work, travel, tourism-related job, um, people are so friendly. You know, like, you may, you may, you have been to Japan, you may have found that the Japanese people are generally nice and friendly. Yeah, 100%. 
Yeah, but Nagasaki people, I think because of the history and what they have gone through in the history, I think they are friendlier in a different, whole different level. Oh, so like even, <laughs> even more friendlier. <laughs> I think, okay, okay, maybe friendly is a different um, word. I'd say they are more open to new culture Got and it. new ways of thinking which is very different from japanese way of thinking got it i see what you're saying that's very interesting that because i did read an article about japan the other day it was on bbc news it was basically writing about you've got this new generation who like nagasaki for example they probably open to more cultures want to progress but there's still an old culture there in japan and it's like a conflict you could progress in one way, but you've been held back in another way. Old and new generation basically is a bit of a tussle between moving forward, but being traditional, I guess, is the is the phrase. So that's interesting, actually. Kind of makes sense, though, with what they went through. Nagasaki, yes. right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes. And is Hiroshima the same as Nagasaki in terms of the people? I think they are slightly different in regards to the characteristics of the cities. Mm. Um, yeah, I think the Nagasaki has this feature, this characteristics much more because of the not the atomic bomb. Um, yeah. Think, but also the the prior history, like yes. during the Edo period. So yeah. they had to be more open to other countries, other cultures. Yeah, I hear yes. you. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. That's great. Okay, and Japan for someone who's planning a trip. I would say is quite expensive. Would you agree that it's not budget friendly? It's quite expensive to go to? I don't know. It depends. If you have a good budget, you can, of course, <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of choices that you can yeah. enjoy, like spending a night or two at a really fancy high-end ryokan, like traditionally. Yeah. But if you have a, yeah, like, I'd say if you have a budget of like 15,000 to 20,000 Japanese yen per day, which is about 120 to 150 US dollars yes. for accommodation, meals and entries for sites and tourist attractions, um, that is uh, pretty possible to make a yeah. trip to Japan. But if you try to try out cultural experiences and book a tour with a local guide, which I totally recommend, you like to have an extra budget for these experiences. And what are some of the traditional Japanese experiences that people must try? So you mentioned Ryokan. Ryokan, yes. Yeah. We stayed one night in one of those. Is that something that someone should 100% do if they go to Japan? I would think so because it's very unique to yeah. Japan. So usually um, the Japanese accommodations offer two meals as part of their accommodation fee. So what's being provided at Ryokan is like two meals as well as a hot spring um, onsen because that's what uh, Ryokan is famous for. Yeah. So, but also the food, um, the, because at Ryokan, what you will get is a full course meal, both in the morning and in the evening. Wow. And when you think about trying out the, what's called the kaiseki meal at a restaurant, I think it's much more like 
cost effective to stay at a ryokan and try out this food. And you can get to、um, sleep on a futon bedding,、uh, which will be prepared on a tatami mat flooring. So you can get to、um, experience the life of the local people. Like, It's not always like Japanese people get to sleep on the tatami flooring because most of the <laughs> Japanese people use a Western style bed.、Yeah. But it's part of the very traditional Japanese experiences that we can still get to experience. So I would highly recommend these experiences. But,、yeah. um, and also, as well as that, the, for high end ryokan, their facilities is like an art museum. So, <laughs> you'll find a flower arranging in the lobby and have a welcome Japanese tea served when <laughs> arriving and get to experience a theatrical performance at night. So, just staying at the ryokan, you get to experience all sorts of cultural activities, cultural experiences. So, it's really good value, I'd say. Yes. I think in English we say ryokan. I don't know if that's wrong or right, but. Ryokan. Yeah, we found when booking one, there is different prices with different levels of cultural experiences,、um, like Muki has said. So you can get like the basic one, which is probably like just sleeping in a traditional bed with a meal. And then, yeah, like you say, at the other end, like onsens and like all these traditional things that happen in the whole experience of staying there. So that, I think there's different levels, I think. I think probably the affordable one is not a ryokan. It's probably、ah. the minshuku. It's a different type of accommodations. Right. So, minshuku are the family run in. Yeah. Which are often found in rural areas.、Ah. Ryokan are located in rural areas too because they are closer to the source of the hot spring. Got it. But the minshuku are more of the, what the Japanese call the grandma's house. Oh, okay, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's everything is kind of a Japanese style. You can get to sleep on the futon. Yes, the you futon, can get to、yeah. eat the meal, but they are the homemade dishes instead of the kind of a kaiseki frukos meal. So,、mm. it's a different、um, type of accommodation, I would say. Okay, got it. Yeah, I remember sleeping on those. Yeah, that's interesting. And also, you mentioned onsen. So,、yes. we went to Hikone. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, Hakone? To- yeah, Hakone.、Mm-hmm. That's near Tokyo. Yes. Yes.、It's- we got the train there, so super quick. And they were just full of onsens. There's like loads and loads of onsens to choose from. I think someone gave us a recommendation, actually. And onsens are brilliant. They're just like natural hot springs, aren't they? Just like you go and just chill out for, I don't know if, if there's a time limit, but maybe an hour. I don't know. Just, uh, no, there isn't a time limit. So you can stay there as long as you want? Of course. <laughs> oh, wow. I would think, oh, it must be a time limit. It must be like two hours. Did, or... did, you, did, you, did you use a private bus or is it a public bus? I don't know the answer. There w a s other people <laughs> in it. <laughs> okay, okay. If that's the case, it's a public bus. So、yeah. if that's the case, there is no time limit. Okay. So some ryokan、uh, usually have a 24 hours.、Yeah. I mean, like some ryokan have a 24 hours. And some ryokan have the onsen that's open until the midnight. And then they usually、ah. open in the early morning, like 5 or 6 a.m. Got it. Okay.、Yes. Yeah, I think this is public. Yeah. So we just, 
I think we have to get bus there when we yeah we went in one. So that's a that's a must do I think as an onsen because they're just really nice, <laughs> just like Yes. chill out and stay in some nice hot water and no one's bothering you and it's just like very chill. It's nice. Is there any other traditional Japanese experiences they must try? Um, if I could add one more thing um, in terms of the accommodation, there's Yeah. another type of accommodation called shukubo. Shukubo is a temple lodging. Um, Oh, so okay. what happened is that the two meals included and the meals are often the so-called shojin ryori, which, which is cooked using only vegetables and soybean-based products. But what I really recommend at the Shukubo is that the morning service at the Buddhist altar. In the early morning, so you get to participate in the in the Buddhist ceremony. And that's the only day opportunity for only the guests can try out. So, Ah, okay. so you That's can good. get to hear the monks uh, Yeah. chanting sutras and hear their teachings directly. So, which is Ah. a very precious opportunity. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And what about Mount Fuji? Would you say it's worth climbing? So, Mount Fuji is only open during the summer. Yeah. And of course, the hikers and the people who love mountains uh, really love the activities and also the sunrise. Um, Yeah. like watching the sunrise is one of the popular activities at the Mount of Fuji. Um, Mm. Yeah. but you know for Japanese people Mount of Fuji is not for hiking it's Ah. to gaze at them from the far end Yeah, I understand. it's a sacred mountain Yeah, and it's, yeah. it has a different meaning to the Japanese people Got it. Okay. yeah If someone's planning a trip, what is the minimum time you would need? in Japan. So let's give you a bit more context. Let's say, because I have quite a few listeners from uh, USA, Canada, and of course, Europe. So if they were planning a trip to Japan, how long do you think they would need at least to spend for their vacation? Japan is not a small country, and as you could imagine. So I would think two to three weeks would be the, yeah, would be a good length, uh, if, especially if you want to visit different regions of the main Honshu Island. And even if you want to travel to different islands. Okay, three weeks is good. And do you need to know the Japanese language as some basics? Would that help? Um, so definitely, um, because, you know, like Japan is a mono-ethnic country. Um, so with a 98% of the population um, being Japanese. And what may be even more surprising is that only one in four Japanese people has a passport. So meaning that many Really? Japanese people are Huh. not accustomed to foreign languages and customs and people from abroad. One and four. So... Wow. Yeah, so Japanese people study English at school, but it doesn't mean they are comfortable speaking in English. So knowing the basic words and phrases definitely help because Japanese people would appreciate your efforts and they will be more open to speaking to you. So, Hmm. but if you are traveling um, to major attractions, you will find English signs and If you ask for the directions, um, chances are you'll find someone who's willing to help. So 
you don't have to worry about too much. But if you are seeking meaningful interaction with locals and have a good understanding of the culture, you definitely want to hire a local guide because you they will give you fill you in the details and mm -hmm. explain the context and the background that you'd need to understand better and travel deeper. Okay. That's very interesting. One in four. I cannot believe that. I don't know why I thought it was more. As in, like, I thought more Japanese people travelled. Oh, wow. Surprising. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and food. We've got to talk about food. Do you want to hear something that maybe you're not going to like? I don't like Japanese food that much. <laughs> Which Japanese food have you tried? I do not like sushi. Mm -hmm. No chance. And I love, like, not like, I love Japanese curries. So I had a lot of Japanese curry in Japan. Mm -hmm. Because I don't eat too much meat, I found it quite difficult. But I love ramen there as well. But it's got to be vegetarian ramen or vegan or vegetarian ramen. So I like those two. Japanese curry and ramen. Sushi, I didn't like that much. Ah, oh, there's one thing I did like. The Japanese pizza. Okonomiyaki? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I love that. That was really good. We went to like a, a real local place. Yeah, she made it. That's really, really good. What can you tell people that what's to expect in Japan for food? People probably, as you mentioned, um, would first think of sushi when they think about Japanese food. But sushi is actually not a everyday food for Japanese people. Okay. And that's something we eat at a restaurant and something we can buy at the sushi place. Yeah. But it's not definitely something we cook at the home, or ah. it's not something, it's not really the homemade dishes, right? Got it. Um, so what we eat, um, usually the staple food Jap for Japanese people is boiled rice. So what people like often get for Japanese-style lunch, for example, is a donburimono, which is a bowl of rice with some topping. So the topping can be anything from meat to fish to vegetable to tofu. So yeah. this is one of the very popular dishes. And people may also like to have the teishoku, which is a set menu, which yes. usually includes a bowl of rice, a main dish, either meat or fish, small dishes using vegetables and a bowl of soup, like miso soup usually, mm -hmm. or noodles in soup are also popular in Japan. So mm -hmm. we have udon noodles, which are made of wheat flour. Just a type of noodles are called yeah, soba, yeah, which is mm. buckwheat noodles. And we have ramen, but also in the summer, we eat thin wheat-based noodles called somen. So we have a different variety of noodles. Mm -hmm. So these are much more popular everyday food for the Japanese people. Have you tried any of these? I love udon noodles, yeah. So I used to have the... The rice in the bowl. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called. It... Donburi? Donburi, that's it. Yeah. So I had yes. the bowl of rice with, at that time, vegetables, but I did occasionally try pork, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did used to have that. And also the ramen, of course, I used to have that quite a lot um, because we found, especially in Tokyo, we found a, a few places that we stayed at where they served vegetarian ramen. So that's cool. It's just, I'm more of a curry person. It's just a personal choice. Right? I love like Indian food, for example, and Thai food. Like that very just like rice and sweet or hot spicy curry um but japan was fine like i love to set meals in the morning you know for breakfast what do you normally have in japan for breakfast at a hotel or at home in a cafe <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> we used to go out for breakfast, like in the cafe, and there'd be like a set menu of cafe. Yeah, in the cafe. Yeah, like a coffee and the orange juice, and there used to be like a set menu. So many Japanese people uh, have a kind of bread. You know, like we have a different types of bread, like from sweet to savory,、okay. and. These are the popular choice for the breakfast for the Japanese people. Okay. They are also available at a cafe. Yeah. Okay. And iced coffee. I saw a lot of Japanese having iced coffee because we went at the end of summer and it's hot. But do you want to hear a funny thing? I thought Japanese people were drinking Coke. I've never been a place where iced coffee was popular until I came to Canada and USA. For in Japan, I was like. Why are people drinking like it's a black drink, right? Like why are they drinking Coke this early in the morning? And it took me ages to work out. No, it's cold coffee, iced coffee. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> I always have coffee hot, even in hot countries. I have coffee hot, not iced. I couldn't understand what was going on, but there you go. I yeah, I don't drink coffee so much, so <laughs> okay. Oh, and tea. You, Do you drink tea? I'm more of a tea person. Yes. What tea do you drink? Now I drink more the green tea. Green tea. Yeah. Yes, but I, I, yeah, I like different types of tea.、So. Yeah. We went to like this like matcha tea place as well, and we done that. That's pretty cool in Tokyo. Is it an introvert friendly destination, Japan? Yes, I definitely <laughs> think so. <laughs> There's one place that I got scared that I couldn't go in. You know, Izakaya's.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're like a bit underground, and it's like smoky, and there's a lot of businessmen in there. Yeah, it's a bit intimidating for me to go in. I don't know why. Yeah. Um. But usually, um, maybe not so much izakaya, but usually there are a good number of restaurants that you can go in, and you know, like lots of introverts, uh, like introverted people, uh, like to travel solo. Right. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you have noticed or you felt that way also. Yeah. But so the Japan has lots of places that are friendly to uh solo travelers too. Yeah. And there are lots of restaurants that are cat that have um kind of solo eating facilities or like、ah, okay. you don't get a suspicious look if you ask <laughs> for a table for one. So I. <laughs> And also, like you mentioned, the shared guest house. You know, like we have a、uh, what's called business hotels. Yes.、Um, they have、uh, like lots of like single rooms, and you don't have to stay at a capsule hotel or a shared guest house. Um, you, you, I think it's more like you, you can like of course find、uh, these accommodations easily. So I think it's pretty the solo traveler friendly destination. Okay, and definitely the introverted people, introverted friendly destination too. It's a funny question because I know obviously we're both introverts, but、like、every country would be introvert friendly, right? There must be something in every country to help introverts, right? Must be. Yes, yes. Yeah. But I yeah, one of the things I really、uh, like about Japan, and also I love more introverted people to experience is that because. Introverted people tend to think a lot and tend to ask deep questions,、mm. and that Japan is a perfect destination for deep thinkers like introverts. Yeah,、um, because you know we have a rich culture and history. So if you get to ask、um, anything you find curious about, 
like you can get to find a deeper context, deeper meaning that's uh, related to cultural traditions, history, and even some spiritual or historical um, teachings. So mm. these would be a really enlightening and meaningful experience for international travelers, especially coming from the West, because cultural values are so different and even yeah. the opposite. So I think it would be a really um, great experience for people who are seeking these kind of experiences. Yeah, I think especially people from the West as well, when they arrive into Osaka or Tokyo, there's going to be a bit of a culture shock because it's bright lights, it's fast, there's noise, there's like busyness, it's quite intense and it takes a, a day or two to get used to it. Um, I didn't feel like that because I went to Asia before, but I think if people are listening now and they've not been to anywhere in Asia, you just got to bear with, be patient. The sense is going to go wild, but then when it calms down, it's going to be a great time. Yeah, but actually that many people might have an image of kind of like busy cities for Japan, mm. but actually most part of Japan are not busy cities. They are more of the countryside and rural yes. areas. Yeah. And I think that's, for me, that's Japan. Like rural areas right. and the countryside are more of Japan. Yeah. And because introverts um, use, I think they are good at observing things and yeah. they are good at like using five senses. So I think like visiting these kind of quiet, less touristy countryside, rural areas really give a good inspiration for people. And I, I, I would highly recommend um, people to visit these different parts of Japan and more the countryside rural areas so that they can get to notice the beauty of the natural landscapes or the regional characteristics that Japan can offer. And that's, that's definitely one thing I totally recommend. That's great, which kind of leads me nicely onto your podcast, because obviously you would talk about all these types of things on your podcast. So your podcast is called the Japanese Experts Podcast or Japan Experts Podcast, should I say. What do you intend to tell the listeners? Is it more about one place in Japan one week and then another place another week? Or do you get guests to come on the podcast? Like, how does it work in terms of your strategy to tell people about Japan and what's your premise? So the aim of my podcast, um, Japan Expert, is to help international travelers design their trip to Japan in a way they can create their unique and meaningful experiences in Japan. So I strongly believe that the real benefits of traveling are felt when you learn something that impacts your life or your perspective at least. And this can be achieved through gaining new experiences, talking to people and hearing their stories, thoughts and experiences and reflecting on what you've learned. So I've learned a lot from my international travel experiences, which have impacted on my personality, perspective and ultimately like my life. And I want to help people gain such experiences in Japan. As I mentioned, like Japan is a great destination for people, especially like coming from the West because of the different cultural values. But, but definitely there are the language barriers, cultural differences. And as I mentioned, Japan has a rich, rich history and culture. But so my aim, 
So my hope is to help international travelers learn more about Japan before visiting. So I believe like knowing more about Japan will help um, them with their travel planning, but also this will help um, them to travel deeper. So, and also I, I hope like knowing more about Japan will give them the confidence they need to travel independently and relieve the stress and anxiety that they may have. So I like through my podcast, like I've covered history, landscapes, cultural traditions, and places places to visit and many other topics. But and I I aim to cover a lot more about these topics as well as the language and how to better communicate with locals. And I'd like to like provide more the deeper knowledge um, than simply talking about major destination, major mm. tourist attractions in Japan. Yes. Yeah, this is great because if I'm honest, when I went to Japan, there is a lot of stuff written about Japan, but a lot of it is just go to Tokyo. I'm like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> um, if I had a podcast like you, I could see your podcast episode and like, oh, you're talking about that one specific thing there. Oh, that'd be good to know. So this is great because you break it down into smaller pieces, talk about it and provide some valuable information. This is brilliant. And do you always have just English-speaking podcast episodes or is it Japanese as well? So it is an English-speaking podcast So because my audience is international travelers. Yeah. So Any Japanese audience? I have a good percentage of, you know, like you can see the listener chat yeah. and yeah, you yeah. can, I have a good percentage uh, of listeners in Japan, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I assume um, they are like non-Japanese people. Yeah. Uh, originally coming from other parts of the world. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Imagine if they weren't. Imagine they were Japanese. That'd be very interesting because they're listening to a Japanese person speaking English about their own country. That'd be quite a, a very unique niche audience if they are Japanese. But I, I do think they're probably like me teaching English or having a job in Japan, I think they would be that. Uh, actually, um, one of the listeners and my Instagram followers, yeah. um, he, he is originally from the US, but okay. he was really interested in my project, what I yeah. do. And he actually teach at one of the Japanese kind of vocational school and a student are learning English. And... Typically speaking, the Japanese people who haven't been abroad, yeah. they are not so passionate about talking about Japan. <laughs> and okay. this American guy really impressed about what I do because I seems like I always talk about Japan, like really yeah, passionate. <laughs> like I'm really passionate about talking about Japan. <laughs> so he, he told me that he encouraged his student to listen to my podcast. <laughs> And that's it, good. That's it, great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually one of the um things that I would like Japanese people to realize is that, and that's one of the things I've realized through my international experience is that you need to know Japan. You need to know your own country to be able to communicate with people from other parts of the world. And mm -hmm. if you don't know so much about your country, um, international experiences are great, but your origin is always should be like your 
country. And I think that's part of the reason and part of my motivation that I wanted to come back after spending some time in the UK and to learn about my country. And that's why that is my motivation that the things I do currently. So to tell the beauty, tell the values of the things we provide in, in Japan. Yeah, that's a great aim and a great idea. You're right about that, about people don't tend to speak too highly about their own country if they travel internationally. For UK, for me, I'm like, nah. <laughs> so there you go. That proves your point, which is pretty bad. But yeah, you've probably seen more UK than I have. Yeah, you know? actually, I wanted to share a really <laughs> great things about the UK. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew your audience is more from the UK and Western countries. So I don't know, but maybe, yeah. No, no, it's, it's always good to get a different perspective on how you see the UK. There's always a difference between being a local and being a tourist. Yeah, you see the same place, but like the, the real low level nuances about the local people travel, like how it really is, 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 is always going to be different, but that's good. Do you also do other things apart from your podcast and your travel guide stuff? Is there anything, are you still a journalist? Do you still write? I do offer tools um, yeah. as well as like travel course, like provide a travel resources. And okay. Yeah. I, yes. I also work with uh, local governments okay. and yeah, and help, help them with some tourism related work. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, some promotional um project. Yes. Oh, that's like great. PR and promotion project. Yes. That's fantastic. Okay. Where can we find your podcast? Do you have a website and social media? Yes. So my website um uh, is the best place to find all the information. My website yeah. is miyukiseguchi.com. That's M-I-Y-U-K-I. S-E-G-U-C-H-I.com. My podcast is Japan Expert. That's available on major podcast racing platform. And I have an Instagram account at japan.experts. And as well as a Facebook group, if you want to join the group of people who are interested in visiting Japan and to learning more about Japan. Fantastic. I'll put the links to all those in the notes in the show so people can just click on and, and find you easily and yeah that's fantastic we want to go back to japan even though we've been four weeks we want to go back and like you say see the rural areas not the cities but more the countryside that's the aim next time i think yes definitely definitely i recommend that and i have a free travel guide if anyone's interested in visiting japan so please oh. feel free to grab one it's available on my yeah i'll, I'll grab a link of you for that yeah. Yes, thank you. That's great. So I'm going to finish the episode with some what I call quick fire travel questions. There'll be a mix of travel and podcast questions because you're a podcaster. So I like to throw a, a few questions in there. They're normally your favorite things. Are you ready for the first question? I am. <laughs> okay. Hey, yeah, just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with Tee Public, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as T-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. 
Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. Out of all the countries that you've traveled to, you need to pick three favorites. Okay. The USA? Yeah. The UK? Yeah. Singapore? Okay. That's a good three. Yeah. Okay. Podcast question. Three episodes of your podcast that people should check out first. Okay. So the first episode is seven steps to creating your unique Japan travel experience. Great. Japan travel tips for introverts. Okay. Where to stay in Japan? Okay. This will be an interesting one. Your three favorite places in Japan. Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, yeah. Number one, Hikone Castle. Number two, Kyoto. Is that too broad? Is no, 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 no. Kyoto is fine. Yeah. Kyoto. And, oh, I should also say Nara. Nara, okay. Yeah. And the next question is, three Japanese dishes that people should try in Japan. Must try. Number one, kaisendon. Bowl of rice with seafood on top. Yeah. Okay. And number two, udon noodles. I love udon noodles. Oh, so do I. Great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Number three, I would say teishoku. It's a Japanese meal. Okay. Great. You can choose whatever dish you want. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. If you could pick one city in the world to drink your tea and watch the world go by for an afternoon, where would you sit? Because I talked about Dubai today, I love to go back to Dubai, but I also love to, because I also talked about Edinburgh, I also would like to go back to Scotland someday. So maybe Edinburgh, maybe Dubai. Okay, that's great. If you could live in one country, that's not Japan, not UK, for one year, where would you live? US West Coast. Good answer. What is the best beach that you've been to? I'd say New Caledonia. Oh, wow. You've been there? Yes. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We planned to go there, but we didn't quite get there. Oh, nice. Okay. Three countries that you've not traveled to, that you'd love to travel to next. Australia, Canada, New Zealand. Oh, I mean, I, I've been to Canada. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So, can't include that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in different parts of Canada. But okay. Okay. Australia, New Zealand. But I really want to visit different parts of Canada. <laughs> you, can, you can say Canada if you want. It breaks the rules, but you can say it. But I'd like to... Okay. Either Canada, my third choice, Canada or Scandinavian countries. Okay. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. Three countries, but yeah, Scandinavia. But, but Scandinavia's got like 10, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is or has been your favorite walk or trek? 
on their travels. Yosemite National Park in、oh, the US. That's a great place. Okay. What is the hidden gem in Japan? Ah,、uh, small gardens at unknown temples in Kyoto. Ah, okay. That's a great tip. Definitely. The countryside and rural areas in central Japan. Small island、um, that's accessible from Nagoya. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. So it's a really local place, but I'd like to do the tour soon. Ah,、um, okay. There are lots of seafood, not only sushi, but there are lots of different types of seafood. Okay. Okay. That's a good tip. I like that. Okay. What is your favorite landscape? I'd say、um, sunrise. Yeah. I love mountains. Yeah. Okay. Sunrise and mountains okay. together?、Uh, not together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like sunrise. Yeah, but like sunset in Dubai was beautiful. Yeah, that sounded、um, great. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's difficult to choose one, but mountains, like, kind of like, I、okay. saw the sunrise on the, it, it's a Japanese tradition, see the sunrise on the New Year's Day. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was beautiful. Okay. That's cool. Okay. Last question to finish the episode is can you tell the listeners why they should visit Japan? It's a very unique country. Um, it has every possibilities. It has so much to offer. It's a safe, it's, it has a unique characteristic such as safety, punctuality, cleanliness, and so many varieties. So, whatever you are looking for, you'd find something you'd like in Japan. So, I totally recommend visiting Japan. That's brilliant. Okay, Miyuki, thanks for coming on to. The podcast and making time. It's been a great chat, and I've learned a lot more information about Japan that I never knew. So, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed the chat too. Yep, can't wait to release it. It's going to be great. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram. At James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel Podcast, you can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook, and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also, check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels, And there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it, and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling. And I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.